We are wrapping up this entire series really close to the end of the year, y'all. I hope you have been blessed by going through this First Corinthians series. We did the beginning of it at the beginning of the year, then we took a gap, and then now we've been covering the last portion of it, and today wraps the entire thing. It's been the year 2022, the year of discovery, right? So what ultimately have we discovered? What what have we discovered even in the book of 1 Corinthians? Well, you know what? We can just jump to the end right here. It's a fill in the blank in front of you. Take a look at that. Christianity is active, not passive. Christianity is active, not passive. This whole concept of, man, my life's super busy. I'm gonna totally get into the Jesus stuff as soon as my life calms down. That's not a thing. Your life is never going to be calm enough if that's what you're thinking, right? Oh, I'm gonna start doing some Christian stuff as soon as I know everything about the Bible. You guys, I've been doing this a really long time. I do not know everything about the Bible, right? Oh, well, as soon as I have not as much drama going on, then I'll really do some ministry. Man, if you got that much drama right now, you're probably a drama dude. You're probably (laughs) gonna keep doing drama stuff, right? So here's the point. If you have been transformed by God, then you have a story to tell. You're already on. The ministry for you can be very simple. Love on a ton of people, tell the story. That's it. That could be the whole ministry. Paul's whole point is, man, when you are saved, you are on. So let's do that. Let's get out there and be the church and do the stuff of a Christian. You go, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do, right? Okay, you can learn. Let me give you an example. You know, I've I've shared with you a couple different times that, you know, I don't have any memories of two parents in a household. I don't have any memories of a Christian dad at home, right? So how in the world am I married to Susie over 26 years and I got two kiddos that are thriving? Because I had to use my imagination and try to figure out how Jesus would do it. And here's what I did. I said, if my girls had Jesus as their dad, how would he act? If Susie was married to Jesus, how would it be? And then I had to go figure out what that would look like. I didn't have any role models, y'all. I had to look in scripture and go, well, he kind of treats people like this. He kind of acts like this. And I was literally making it up as I go along because I was trying to embody what Jesus would be like if he were me. And that's ultimately the Christian life. You're in the job you are. What would it be like if your coworkers had Jesus working in the next cubicle? That's the point, right? So whatever you are, whatever God has built you to be, just be that, be the fulfillment of that, right? Some people are like, well, I don't have a ministry. You know, all I do is I, I take care of the kids and, and I love on their friends and, I, you know, I kind of take care of some of my neighbors. And right now I'm really taking care of my mom because she's having a hard time. Do you realize that is ministry? You just named it. Like some of y'all need to realize you've been doing ministry to a high level. You're just not calling it ministry, right? But there's others of us. Well, we need a little bit of a kick in the pants, right? Like, you know, you've been built for more and you're just chilling, doing your thing, right? No, 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 no. Remember the whole business about, yeah, I got a lot going on. I'll get to that Jesus stuff. That's not a thing. Jesus is the only stuff. And we need to be living that out. All right, now, 
We've been walking through this book. We're wrapping it up. Here's what we've noticed so far. The book of 1 Corinthians is really a letter that a pastor's trying to talk to the church that he planted about four and a half, five years earlier, and they're not having it. He's trying to bring correction because they're super rebellious. Like Corinth was a messed up church. And it was not that they were messed up like they couldn't afford anything or they weren't very gifted. As a matter of fact, they're almost elitist. They got hardcore power from the Holy Spirit. Man, they were speaking in tongues and there was healings and there was fire. I mean, it was awesome, but they were chaotic. They were totally selfish in everything that they did. They were wealthy. They were kind of like, we want only the best and we want only the brightest. And, and so they started rejecting Paul. Paul would come in and bring some clarification and correction. They weren't having it. Can you imagine fighting with the apostle Paul? That's so ridiculous. This is the dude we get our theology from. They're like, nah, he's okay, right? And so he comes in and brings correction. He starts out in the book talking about you guys are treating each other wrong. I gotta tell you, this is not how we act. We are a family here, people, right? So he goes through and starts talking about all these issues. When he gets towards the end, this is what we've been studying in this series, he starts talking about supernatural stuff. Hey, and when the Holy Spirit moves through, you remember it's not about you. It's about how you can bless other people, right? So let's keep it orderly, yeah? And by the way, you got a bunch of bad leaders in your church and they're all causing some weirdness about some core doctrinal stuff. And there's certain things we can't touch, guys. The gospel's one of them. Remember, the gospel's super simple. Keep it simple. Do not complicate it. What does it say? We're all dead in our sins. We've been too selfish. We have no way of having an afterlife. Son of God came to fix that. Jesus Christ came lived the perfect life to be able to trade with ours, right? He gets our broken one, we get his perfect one. He dies on the cross for our sins. That means he pays the penalty we should have paid. He gets up out of the grave on the third day, is alive forevermore, and is coming back to take us home one day. That's the gospel. Don't mess with it. Oh, well, you also need to do this and go through this system and figure this out and handle this stuff and get in the water and blah, 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 blah. Stop. We don't mess with the gospel. He's like, by the way, y'all are messing with stuff like the resurrection. There's no resurrection of the dead. Of course there is. Jesus got up, we can get up. Well, what kind of bodies are we going to have? Oh, are we really talking about this? Okay, we're going to get new gear. We're going to get new bodies. It'll be awesome, all right? We're all good, right? And then he wraps up the letter. And when you're wrapping up a letter, it's almost like it's a speed round of everything you didn't cover before, right? You're kind of like, oh, this letter's getting really long, right? I better hurry up and just kind of wrap this up. And so he starts throwing all these bombs at the end, and then he's like, and scene. And that's where we're at today. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. If you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It is page 962. 962, I'm reading out of the ESV. Here we go, we're gonna read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. Here we go. <clears throat> First Corinthians 16, one, the best way to start your morning is what? Let's talk about money, amen. All right, cool. <laughs> Here we go, First Corinthians 16, one. Now concerning the financial collection for the saints in Jerusalem, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. 
On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, meaning some money aside, store it up as God allows you to prosper so there will be no collecting process when I show up. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your financial gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go as well, great, they'll accompany me. All right. He's talking about taking up an offering for the struggling church in Jerusalem. These guys are in Greece. They're a good distance away. They're affluent. Jerusalem's struggling. Jerusalem is still primarily a Jewish church, and the Jews are never far from Paul's heart. He may have been called to the Gentiles, but the Jews are his people, and he has a hard time ever not thinking of them. Well, they were under intense persecution. It was really hard to be a Christian in Jerusalem in those days. And so he said, guys, they're hurting. We got to do something about it. That's what Christians do. I want you to get your cash together. I want you to pull it together every time you guys meet. Keep gathering it, gathering it, gathering it. I'm going to come into town, hand it to me. I'll get it where it needs to go. That's it. All right, question for us. When did the whole giving at church thing start? I mean, isn't it? It's kind of interesting, right? It's kind of like, well, I, I go to church and then they're like passing a basket or whatever. I mean, like, what, when did that start? And I, and I got to be honest with you, it, it, it was kind of a, not an initial thing that the church had to deal with. Because think about it this way, a lot of the early churches that were planted were little baby ones. They're little home churches, right? And so you go, hey, we're going to church. Where are we going to church? We always go to Bob's house. That was it. Like that was the whole church, go to Bob's house, right? And then you're like, oh, we're doing communion. Everybody pack a lunch right? And then you kind of walk down the neighborhood and you go to Bob's house, right? That's, there's not a lot of overhead. Everyone just is at their own house and he happens to be on Elm Street, two streets over. You just go to Bob's house. But we noticed that when God started exploding the church, all of that changed. Do you guys remember Pentecost, right? Church, 120 people in one day, 3,000 people get saved. You just went from 120 to 3120 in one day. That's called a logistical nightmare. Dude, where are we putting everyone in Bob's house? Oh my gosh, there's like a thousand of us. This is so weird, right? Now all of a sudden you can't fit in Bob's house. Now you're like, oh, we gotta rent a place and I don't even know where we're gonna go. I don't know, maybe that synagogue is open. I don't know, maybe we can go over there, right? And now all of a sudden all these people got saved. <gasps> They're poor. Oh my gosh, they don't have a lunch to bring to the potluck. Now, who's going to cover them? Somebody's got to cover them. Well, dang, I can't cover everybody. You want to kick in five bucks? I'll kick in five bucks. All of a sudden, you're working with the community and logistics go everywhere. Early on in the book of Acts, you end up finding out that one of the first problems in the church was who's going to take care of the widows and are the right widows getting taken care of and who's going to handle the finances and how's it going to... Suddenly, we're on. And that's kind of how church has been ever since, right? But the whole idea of giving, right? You know, we talk about it. Is it tithe? Is it giving? Is it donations? Is it offerings? What is it? That whole concept was not simply logistical. It was a vision of God. And it goes way back thousands of years. Side note, 
I was doing some study. I was writing a, a podcast that's going to release a little bit later here, and I was writing about world religions. Have you done any study on world religions? Right? Do you know the five main world religions? Some people say, well, there's seven of them. Okay, we're going to talk about five main in terms of influence and size, right? The five main ones, let's start with the first one that's the easiest for us, which is Christianity. Okay, excellent. Largest religion in the world is Christianity. Close second is what? Islam. Okay, so you got Christianity and Islam. Now, as far as influence, but not size, only has 14 million people, is Judaism, okay? They're actually way down, if we're talking about size, way down the list. The other two are what? Hinduism and Buddhism. Those are the five. Here's what's intriguing about it. Do you realize they really only fall into two categories? You have Indian religions and Abrahamic religions. Now, this is a trip. Did you know that both Hinduism and Buddhism both came out of India. Did you know that? Did you know that Buddhism came out of Hinduism? I don't know if you maybe knew that because they're very different, right? They're all from India. Okay, now let's go over to the other three. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all go back to one person, Abraham. How strange, yeah? Three of the big religions of the world go back to one guy. That's fascinating to me. They're all monotheistic. They believe in one God, right? But wow, one guy? And actually, the whole idea of giving money to the Lord, that goes all the way back to that dude, Abraham. So God grabs this guy, right? His name was Abram at the time. It gets later changed to Abraham. And he says to him, Hey, buddy, I want to do something special through you. I want to start telling the world more about me. And I'm going to do so through you. That all my creation needs to know about me, and I need to be able to bless them. The whole reason I created you guys was relationship. I could pour out my love on you, and you could glorify me. That's the whole reason why you guys are here. So I want to do a new thing. So he starts working through Abraham, because he says this phrase, and this is an important phrase. If you memorize anything about giving, here's the phrase you need to memorize. I will bless you to be a blessing. That's the Abrahamic covenant. Here's what he said. I'm going to do really great, amazing things to you so you'll be a distribution house for me. So I'm gonna give it to you. You cascade it out to everybody else. Abraham, I'm going to bring blessing on you that's crazy cool and I want you to take care of other people. You go, well, how did that work? All right, so we kind of zoom down a couple generations and we end up in a dude named Joseph. You guys remember Joseph, right? Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, you guys remember him? <laughs> Joseph, kind of gifted kid, cocky kid, right? Ends up just having a terrible life. But he ends up really blessed. He's the right hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. Do you remember this? I mean, just powerful, wealthy, right? Probably good looking, right? Because, I mean, when you have mascara on, you know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> Gotta be hot. Why did God bless him that way? Do you remember? It was very specific. Because in the town where his family, his large family of Jewish people, Hebrews, started growing, there was a famine. He was blessed to be a blessing to those people. He brought them into Egypt, took care of them, and they started to multiply. Over the next hundred, couple hundred years, 
They eventually became slaves, couple hundred years. Oh my goodness, they're a massive people. By the time they come out with Moses, they're at about 1.4 million people. This is a huge group. And God was like, see, I told you. They come out to Mount Sinai, they get the 10 commandments. God said, we're gonna start systematizing this whole relationship with me thing. We're gonna put a system together. I need you to make sure that if you follow me and obey me, I'm gonna keep blessing you. If you disobey me, I will flat out curse you. I will get in your face, right? Because I need you to be a blessing to the world. You don't get to do your own thing. You get to do exactly what I tell you to do. You have a very specific mission. So he starts blessing them. He's like, hey, do you guys wanna go in the promised land? They're like, no. And he's like, oh, let's walk for 40 years, right? So they do the little wandering thing. You guys have heard that story, right? New leadership, Joshua, let's go into the promised land. Boom, massive military campaign. They now have land, yeah? Now all of a sudden they're a thriving, growing nation, super blessed. Their enemies were subdued. They started having tons of cash. They started having great harvest. It was a beautiful location. Things are going really well. God said, remember that systematizing thing. Remember, now we're gonna build a temple. I need you to design in a temple. I want you to kick out money to make sure my temple is running right. I want you to take care of my ministers. And we always take care of the poor. You never ignore the poor. So he instituted tithing. What does tithe mean? Tenth. Take a tenth of whatever God has given you, you give it over. He gave multiple tithes to them. You take care of the temple with this tithe, you take care of the poor with this tithe. He had all this systematizing of caring for other people. Every time they got their harvest in, they knew it all wasn't theirs. It was God's, they wouldn't have had it if God wouldn't have given it to them. And so he creates this whole system and he said, if you do the system right, I will bless you and I'll see it as faith and I will draw you towards me. Well, we know the story didn't end up awesome, right? Like eventually Israel turned away from God and things got bad and all of a sudden we have the Old Testament closed and everything seems pretty dark. But then all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Yeah, the New Testament kicks up, Jesus shows up. And he starts saying, hey guys, I'm going to finish the last system and I'm gonna change it. I'm actually gonna fulfill it. Like, you know how God kept going, well, you need to do this and do this and do this and do this. Jesus goes, I'll get it done. And because you guys have not upheld your side, I'm gonna pay that penalty. But when I get done with you, I'm gonna die on the cross for your sins. When I bring in forgiveness, when I bring in grace, when I bring in transformation, do you know what's gonna to happen to you? You are in a sense going to die to yourself and you're going to be raised a child of God. I'm going to change you, the very core of your identity. I'm going to take you from someone that has to do a system to being a child, family member of God. Now, family rules apply. Now, family rules don't have percentages. Is that correct? Tell me how this would go. Susie's in the, in the congregation right now. How would it go if I go home and I go, babe, you know, we should split up the money. Kind of who's doing hard enough work? <laughs> right? I split it up, right? You know, there's, an, uh, there's, there's some support to both my girls, like Andy and Jill, and I'm like, ah! Jill's working a little harder than Andy. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna cut down Andy's. 
the minute you start playing percentage games, the relationship starts getting sketchy. Because what is the rules in family? You just do whatever it takes, right? We have it all together. Like our finances are just kind of us. We're living together and it's all us. And now you understand New Testament giving. It's a whole different process. Now all of a sudden, it's family rules. So you watch the New Testament explode with, in the book of Acts. What do they start doing? Oh my gosh, we have so many poor people. Okay, you know what? I actually have another property. I'm gonna go ahead and sell that property. I'm gonna redistribute the funds. And, and what do you need? Okay, cool. Well, we gotta provide for this and provide for this. Okay, what do, I, what do I have on me? And they were all in. That's New Testament giving. You're like, well, what about the 10%? What about the... I'm sorry, what are, you, what, what are you talking about? 10%? Is that what you contribute to your family? That's weird. Ah, now we start seeing how everything has a slightly different vibe to it. All right, now, here's what's important to know. There are three reasons we have to give and give generously consistently. There are three reasons. I want you to write these down. If you're a note taker, write these down. Three reasons... Here we go. By the way, when I start talking about money and giving and stuff, you're like, oh, it must be campaign time at Bridgeway, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, no, it's not. You, uh, here's the deal, you can give to whatever God is doing. It doesn't have to be a Bridgeway. We've always told you that. No, 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 no. We're just saying invest into what God's doing, right? Like if it happens to be a Bridgeway, that's, that's beautiful and that's wonderful, but I'm not... There is no need of money where we're not in any campaign. I love being able to talk about it when there's not a mega need. You know what I'm talking about? We can just talk about what it is. Okay, cool. So here's the three reasons you and I desperately need to give away portions of our money on a consistent basis. Number one, write this down. So money doesn't own us. Number one, so money doesn't own us. Number two, to connect our hearts to what God's doing to connect our hearts to what God's doing. Number three, localized opportunity. Localized opportunity. Write those three down, let's talk about them. What do I mean that, God, that, that money doesn't own us? Jesus said money can become a God, why? Because what money does is empower you to be a God. It empowers you to have control. It empowers you to make decisions. It empowers you to be autonomous. Money is super dangerous because it gives you control. And you're like, isn't that a good thing? Not really, because we're already pretty selfish and kind of self-centered in the first place. So greed kind of starts becoming an insidious evil that very easily slips into the best of our hearts, right? And, And here's the reality. We desperately need to give money away for our spiritual sanity. If you don't, you become a monster. That's the reality. Selfishness and greed cannot be stopped without consistent generosity and sacrifice. It's almost as if the more money we keep, the less of our heart God has. I always find it interesting when people say, well, how much should I give? And I say, well, a better question is how much should you keep? Right? I mean, that's, that's how it should go. 
right? Because it goes to the second one, connecting our hearts to God, right? To what he's doing. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You guys remember that? If I was to look in your checkbook, where's your heart? Because if there's nothing about what God's doing in there, your heart is not with him. Your heart's with you, right? Is everything that you're paying for, everything that you're investing in, is it all about you? Then yeah, your heart is with you. It's not with him. And here's the thing, until we start investing in what he cares about, our heart will remain over here with us. When you start investing in it, your heart starts shifting over to that. That's the principle. Some wise people in this world, in the business world, have said this. You tend to support what you help build, right? Is that not true? Okay, so here's the deal when it comes to church or it comes to what God's doing. When you invest in God's stuff or in church stuff, your heart gets locked in and you start caring about the health of the organization. But if you don't, you can church hop all you want. You can skip ministries because you were never bought in in the first place. It was simply a podcast to you. And if it's just a podcast, you can switch the channel super easy because your heart was never locked there in the first place. So we ended up watching a lot of movement because you end up realizing, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. You didn't help create it and build it so you don't have ownership of it. If you don't have ownership of it, you can easily walk away. Ah. Third one, localized opportunity. Here's the principle. We can do so much more together than we ever could alone. Is that correct? Let's go back through what you just heard in the announcements. How many of you individually could have done the toy store, right? Because we provide an opportunity for people to have respect and honor to shop for their family for low-priced toys. How did that happen? Because of us collectively doing it together. And here's ultimately what it means. You go, well, I could have done it, you know. Okay, hold on. Let's say you can afford to buy the over 1,000 presents that were donated, okay? Let's say you can buy them. How are you gonna do the store? How many volunteers did you hear that it took to run that one store? 95. Can't do it alone. You got 95 friends? Then you put that in. It's only when we collectively did it that 380 kids got bought for. It's only then that we had all those other presents pour out into our local, what, elementary school who have struggling kiddos. Now all of a sudden you have thousands of lives being impacted. Why? Because you gave and I gave and we pulled it together. We can do stuff together we can never do apart. Here's the other thing. Did you guys know that we have a counseling wing here at the church called Soul Care? Did you know this? Professional counseling, some of the best in the entire region, happens right in the other building right next to us. How can we provide incredible trained counselors for a very low price? And it's because you subsidize it. That's why we could never do it. So now people going in there, not only are lives being saved, marriages are being saved and restored. Now we have people who are in desperation, having hope and finding practical tools. How can we do that? Because you gave. You're never gonna meet those people. 
You have no idea what kind of ministry is going on. But every time you funnel money into what the collective church is doing, you are investing into crazy eternal opportunities. That's insane. We just can't do it alone. We can do it together, yeah? Then the other piece that he hits, which I think is fascinating, is he said, all right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna come by and I'm gonna grab the financial gift, but I'm gonna hand deliver it. And you're like, well, it's the ancient world, right? I mean, it's practical. You can't wire the money, so of course you gotta bring it. He's like, no, 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 it's more than that. I want them to see a face because the relationship that we said we care about you is almost as powerful as the money we just gave. And you know what that means to us? Here's my encouragement to you. Please don't ever separate your loving heart from your charitable giving, right? Because sometimes we're like, oh, I support you know, this organization or World Relief or whatever, and I just write the check and don't think about them. Remember, your relationship and your heart and your prayers are more powerful even than your giving. Please don't ever let those get separated. If we are giving to the Lord's work, let's keep our heart in it. Amen? Amen? All right. Cool, cool, cool. Let's go to verse five. Hey, let's talk about his plans. He said, I'm gonna visit you after passing through Macedonia, for at least I intend to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. I don't wanna see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Let's pause. If you want transformation in your life spiritually or you want to impact someone else's life spiritually, it's going to require at least two things. Two words, write them down. Ready, here we go. Time, proximity. Time, proximity. What does it mean? If you really want transformation, it's gonna take time. And you gotta show up. Man, I'm kinda preaching to the choir, but isn't this what church is for? Right? I mean, when you're in the atmosphere and you can feel the buzz and the electricity and the Holy Spirit moving and you can look your pastor in the eye when they're preaching and, and you're kind of sitting next to people that you, you don't know and it's like, oh my goodness, this could be a friend and, and you're listening to them worship and we're doing stuff collectively. That's what church is for. When we show up, there's a blessing waiting for you. There's something powerful about being together. And then we need time. The problem is time and proximity are the two things we're not doing real well. It's why suburban modern day America is as weak as it is in the church. We got too many gates on our neighborhoods, too many doors that are locked. We got too many things. And then all of a sudden we go, why am I so lonely? Why am I so isolated? Because you're trying to do it through a computer screen and it's not working. Time, proximity. Here's the truth. We got to go back a little bit. Do you guys remember when you were younger and you did sleepovers? You guys remember this? Right? I don't recommend it as adults. <laughs> right? Soul care can only handle so many problems at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys remember this, you did sleepovers when you were younger and here's how it went, right? You, you were like kind of have, oh, we got this buddy and we're not quite connected yet and everything. Dude, by the time you cross over midnight, you're all idiots. Do you remember this? 
You're suddenly, you're playing the game Chubby Bunny. Everybody remember Chubby Bunny? You take those big marshmallows and you shove as many as you can into your mouth and see how long you can say the word Chubby Bunny. But you keep shoving them in. This is a total choking hazard, right? Everyone's gonna die if you do this. Please don't do this. Anyway, the point is you've had so much Captain Crunch and Red Bull that you are so amped, right? That all of a sudden you're singing to each other and it's not great. Right? And then you're saying things, you're like, oh my gosh, look at what my tongue can do. And if someone was videoing you, you look like you need to be hospitalized. But it was in that moment you bonded. It was in that moment you became best friends. You are never gonna make a best friend on a 20-minute coffee date that was scheduled between two sandwiched other issues. Because here's the truth of the matter. Friends are never made intentionally. They're made on accident. And you can't have an accident without time and proximity. Man. Pick it up in verse eight. He said this. He said, so I wanna visit you guys, but I gotta stay in Ephesus right here where I'm writing until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, let's pause. In one phrase, he just said what ministry is like. Man, it is so awesome with possibility, and I hate every minute of it. Right, isn't that what he said? Because here's what he said, man, it's so hard. I'm gonna tell you how every leader goes through a weekend at church. Every leader goes, oh my gosh, that was the best time of my life. I had a front row to a miracle and I never want to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because there's so many ups and downs. Because in one sense, you are engaging in eternal work with God. And on the other sense, you can't forget what those people said about you. It's the greatest joy and the worst sadness all at the same time. Ministry's tough. Yeah, it's crazy. But he said something interesting. He said, and a wide door was opened for me. That means he didn't open it. It was opened for him. By who? God only opens doors. If mankind could open doors, we wouldn't talk about opening doors. We just walk wherever we want to walk. But we actually need some doors to open, so we ask God to open them, right? And he's the one that opens doors. And you're like, so what does that have to do with me? Okay, it's called the people of, prince, people of peace principle. The people of peace principle. Ties into something Jesus said back when he was doing ministry. You remember his first wave that he sent people out was the 12 apostles. Second wave, the 70 or the 72, right? Depending on your translation. He sends out the next wave. He's like, guys, get out there, kill it. I want you to set people free. I want you to heal them. I want you to spread the gospel. When you roll into town, I want you to knock on the door. Hey, hi, I'm a Christian. They're like, I hate Christians. Wham! Well, that's a closed door. But if somebody's like, oh, sweet, I would love to talk to you. That's an open door. That's a person of peace. You're like, well, what, is that? what does that have to do with me? Let's say I told you that in 2023, I need you to share the gospel with 10 people and I want you to write down their names and bring it to me. Some of you guys and your personalities immediately clinch, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, right? Because that stuff freaks you out. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna say something stupid and then they're gonna be mad at me and then it's gonna, uh, right? 
What if I said, okay, with this caveat, I want you to share it with 10 people, but only 10 people who really want to hear about it and talk about it. You were like, no, well, that's easier. This is the principle of people of peace. Quick question for you. Who does ministry first, you or God? God. God goes out, does ministry, invites you to join in. You go, yeah, I knew that. Nope, because here's how you're operating. God, I'm gonna go out and try to come up with something and I need you to bless it when I'm done with it. That's incorrect. He's like, no, no, I'm more interested in saving people than you are. I'm gonna go work on your friends and I'm gonna open up a door and then I would like you to walk through the door. If the door ain't open, I didn't work yet. I want you to move on. You're like, that's terrible. These people need to get saved. You can't just move on. Hold on, I didn't say forever. I said it's about timing. If you go to your coworker, hey, can I pray for you about something? They're like, religion is what's wrong with the world. Oh, okay. All righty, buddy. That's a coffee? That's a closed door. Move on. Talk to somebody else because in two years... Later on, if you're loving and kind and they lose their son, they're coming for you. Hey, I know we haven't been super cool about all this stuff, but I'm just freaking out and I need some help. Suddenly, the door is opened. It's all about timing, yeah? So what we should do better as a church, as believers, is instead of smashing our heads into doors, we should probably try the handle, right? Hey, is this one? Oh, no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Try this one. Yep, here's one that's open because God has plenty of them. Most of us don't know who to minister to because we're not trying any handles. Yeah? We just never even talk about Jesus and nobody even knows we're a believer. Yeah? All right, so here we go. Verse 10. He's like, all right, so a couple things I need to run down. When Timothy comes, that's my protege, that's my man, Right? See that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, so he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Okay, why does Paul have to write a letter to say, be nice to my buddy Timothy? Because they weren't nice to him. Remember? This whole letter is, we don't like you, Paul. We don't even know if you're an apostle. We're frustrated with you and we're mean to you. He's like, guys, it's one thing for you to be mean to me. Man, I am like a bulldozer. You want to go? Let's go, right? I mean, he's like a bare-knuckle brawler, dude, right? He's just like little, like, you know, the way they describe him is he's like kind of a little scrappy dude, right? So Paul comes in, and he's like, let's go, you know? And he's like, you can't handle the truth. You know, he's that kind of guy, right? And then he's like, he's like and you guys are totally mean to me, but if I send Timothy, Timothy's, well, he's not like me. Timothy's a little bit more shy. He's like, hey, guys. You're just like, don't be mean to the little squishy dude. He's totally nice. Like I have poured into this guy so much and if he comes into your place and you eat him alive, I'm coming after you, right? Be nice to my boy, right? Come on. And then he's like, all right, now concerning our brother Apollos, who you asked me to send to you, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. There's a backstory to this. Do you remember it? Apollos is the other big dog preacher. Paul isn't great at preaching. 
As a matter of fact, he kind of stumbles over his words. He's not super eloquent. He's super powerful and super effective, but he's not exactly what you would consider a silver-tongued savant, right? That was Apollos. Apollo, super charismatic, could spin a tale, tell stories. All the Greeks were like, oh, I love him, right? Because he could talk super cool and say anything to anybody, sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, this guy was amazing, right? And so him compared to Paul, the Corinthians were all about the finest things in life. They're like, we want that dude as a preacher, not you, you're lame. And they're like, can we have more of him? Do you remember how this letter started? The book of 1 Corinthians starts with this. I hear there are divisions among you. Some say I follow Paul, some say I follow Apollo, some say I follow Peter, some say I follow Christ. People had divided the family of God based on their leader they liked best. And they were trying to pit them against each other. The leaders had no beef with one another, but everyone's like, I like him better than you and my church is better than yours and my guy's better than yours. And they kept dividing and dividing and dividing. You got to imagine that if Paul was as insecure as most of us senior pastors and somebody said, can we have the better preacher come? He would have said, nope, I don't need more drama, but this isn't the Paul show. This is the all Jesus, all the time show. He said, all right, I asked him. I even implored him to come to you guys. And he was like, nope, I'm busy. He's probably thinking to himself, I don't want that drama, right? Paul, you handle those people, right? And he also didn't want to come in and probably cause up more division. So he's like, I'm out. But Paul asked, do you know how humble you have to be for him to go, fine, is that what you want? Let's go. He and I ain't got no problems. We're good. Wow, that's maturity, yeah? And then in verse 13 and 14, in like right in the middle of all this, he gives you the four principles of great ministry and great living. It's kind of a cool little addition here. Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong, let all that you do be done in love. What does he mean? Be watchful, be watching for the return of the Lord, be watching for the enemy's movement so he doesn't get a foothold, be watching for the movement of the Holy Spirit. Keep your eyes open, head on a swivel. That's what we do. Be watching for what's going on, track with it, all right? Now, here's the other thing. I don't just need you to be watchful. I need you to stand firm in the faith. You know who you are in Jesus. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him get you off your mark. Don't let him bully you. We're not doing that. Be strong. I want you to get out there and be tough. I want you to act like a dude. This is where all the ladies are like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Who's giving birth? Right, exactly, that's what I thought. Okay, hold on, it's not offensive. We're talking about raw strength. We're talking about physical raw strength. And here's the reality, it's not offensive to say if we put up the best man in strength raw against the best woman in strength raw, you're gonna end up seeing that men are stronger. Why? They're built different. So they have an advantage. It's kind of why we don't have violent sports that are mixed, right? There's a reason. And you're like, okay, I don't know, man. That's not really, okay, I did research. <laughs> and I did so much research on stupid stuff, you're going to hear it. <laughs> I will never get those three hours back. <laughs> okay, here's what I found out. 
the women's world record for bench press, which by the way, this is such a rabbit hole. Do not Google this. It just goes down and down and down. The world record women's bench press is 620 pounds. Dude, okay, so here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all men are stronger than all women, all right? This is clear, right? So in this room, not only are there women that can take me in an arm wrestling match, you can beat me up, okay? But I'm not exactly the dude's champion, yeah? Okay, so let's be clear on that, right? Dude's champion doesn't wear quilted shirts, right? <laughs> Look, no calluses, ah, okay. <laughs> can you imagine a woman bench 620 pounds? Now, if any dude can lift half that, you're my hero, right? But the men bench 1,320 pounds. Okay, what the heck? Now, this is where the ladies are like, mm. Oh, you're talking about upper body strength. That is not where we win. You want to go? You want to go? Let's go lower body, right? Let's go squats, yeah? Try to mess with me up bench press, whatever, right? All right, I studied. <laughs> the world record for women's squats is 880 pounds. Okay, that's mad weight, yeah? The men by Brian Carroll is 1,306 pounds. Okay. My point is, if we're gonna talk about sheer raw strength, the dudes are going to win. If Paul's gonna talk about, I need you to go out there and be tough and scrappy, I'm gonna talk about men. That's what he's gonna talk about. If we're gonna talk about inner fortitude and all that stuff, I'll oh, be tough like your mom, is actually what he would have said, right? Because she's tougher than your dad anyway, right? But it's what we're talking about. All right, cool. Then he said, and whatever you do, be loving. If you guys are just tough and not loving, we lose. If you guys are powerful but not loving, we lose. If we're gonna win anything in this world, you gotta do it with love or it's not gonna work, right? So he says in verse 15, now I urge you brothers that you know, uh, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, that means submit to their leadership, even if you disagree. Submit to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they've made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. What is he saying? He's saying we need a culture of honor because there's a blessing that comes with honor. Now I'm about to step into an area that's a little bit sensitive for some of you. God puts leaders in place based on what he knows, not what we know. You may not agree with who's in leadership in any given organization, but I need you to understand that if God doesn't like it and it's the right timing, he'll pull them out, okay? He's gotta manage that, that's on him. But when it comes to church, unless we're talking about clear heresy or we're talking about gross misconduct, right? Which, by the way, if there's any of that going on in your church, it better be turned in. You understand what I'm talking about? I'm not interested in this glossing over or any of that garbage, right? No, no, there's accountability. 
But outside of that, I need you to submit to your leaders. Oh, you're just saying that, I'm not even talking about me. I'm part of the process. We got a lot of leaders here. And here's what we found out over the last couple years. Most people believe they're their own pastors of their own churches because they just view their leaders as just another opinion. You guys, if we are autonomous, independent pastors of our own church, you're the only one that can bless yourself. There is a principle in scripture that there is a covering that God brings blessing through the leadership of the church. When you want the leaders to pray for you, it is empowered through the fact that you said, I'm under their covering. You are not under anyone's covering if you're your own boss. You are only under our covering if you have submitted to our leadership. So yeah, we're gonna disagree. We're gonna have stuff that is off in your opinion, but that you're not in a church of your own beliefs and your own friends. You are in a church that has leadership. And when we submit under that leadership, there is a blessing of God that comes upon your life. There's something beautiful that flows from the top down. There's something about it changes the atmosphere of the house. So I just beg of you, Whoever that leadership is in your life through, let's say, Bridgeway right here, if it's somebody else that they don't even go to Bridgeway, I just desperately need you to submit unto that leadership and let God's blessing flow. Yeah, we need it. Pick it up in verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, or Priscilla, that like husband-wife power team, together with a church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. And all the brothers send you greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, the holy kiss thing is mentioned five times in scripture. It's mentioned a lot. It was kind of a thing back then. Now, I will never forget this. I am, I, I, y'all know I'm a super touchy-feely person. Everybody know that? Like, I'm Mr. Huggy, right? I'm always touching somebody, right? And, and so when I went in the year 2000, I went on a mission trip to Uruguay, which is in South America. I don't know if you knew this, but South Americans are passionate. Have you guys noticed this? Have you watched the World Cup? Okay, cool, anyway. Now, super passionate. Well, they are very kissy people, right? So I go in and every little old lady was planting one on both cheeks, man. It was just like, you know, they were in and they're really good at it. It was like they had the little pecking and move, the dodge move, it was awesome. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I found my people. Right? I was like, look, everyone's kissing everybody. This is awesome, right? Like in America, we just get sued. Okay. <laughs> and so I was like, this is so cool, so cool. Now, some of you guys are like, I ain't having it. Like, you're like, personal space, 10 feet out, right? Your favorite thing was a pandemic six foot thing, right? You're just like, don't get in my world. What is wrong with you? Don't touch me. What is, right? Okay, I totally get it. But here's what's interesting is it talked about the, the holy kiss thing. And I was realizing when I was down there, it's really hard to have a continual animosity towards somebody that keeps getting in your personal space. Like it forces you have to work the issue out. Dude, I don't want you coming up on my face if I don't like you, right? And you can tell if somebody's like, nope, I don't greet them. You're like, uh-oh, they have a problem. Whereas in America, we're so removed, you have no idea if I hate you, right? I just keep all that inside. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. The dynamics change in a room where people are allowed to get into each other's personal space. And then it dawns on me. You know why the holy kiss was such a big deal? 
Because there is one group of people that is allowed to get in people's personal space. Who is it? Family. They're the only ones, whether you are a touchy-feely person or not, mom's sending you off to school and she's like, I gotta give you a kiss on the cheek, right? If some weird lady on the street said that, you run. <laughs> Different rules apply for family. They're coming in, they're cuddling, they're hanging out, they're being next to you on the couch. Family does that. Why did Paul highlight the holy kiss in the church? Because in his mind, we're family. And that's just how it goes, right? Close it out. Look at verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, Paul had eyesight issues, so he would write really big, okay? So he has his crayon, right? <laughs> and, and he's like, hi, everybody, I'm Paul, right? And because Sosthenes, his secretary, was, he was talking and Sosthenes was writing the letter. Only at the end, for authorization purposes, so nobody you know, said, oh, I got a letter from Paul and it wasn't really from him, he would have to sign the end of it. So he starts writing, hi, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Look at verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha, meaning our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, my love with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. Okay, <laughs> did that get a little dodgy at the end there, <laughs> right? Because here's what he was saying. He's like, hi, everybody, it's Paul. If you don't love Jesus, go to hell, heart ya. <laughs> Paul, and you're like, uh, <laughs> that kind of, that accelerated rather quickly. <laughs> and you know, Sosthenes is kind of like, dude, I'm glad you wrote that. I was not gonna write that, brother. I don't know what is going on with you today, but man, you are tense, right? And here's what I grab out of that. He had just said a lot of pretty rough stuff. And then he's like, love ya. Here's the point. Here's what I think he would say if you asked him. If I didn't love ya, I would have walked out a long time ago. Man, the fact that we're in the mess together, the fact that I am still talking to you shows how much I love you. Man, I don't need this garbage in my life. I could have just walked away. And if I didn't love you, I would have. But I do love you. So here we are, we're family. And family doesn't always get along. But we don't go anywhere. We stay in it and we work it out. That's how it goes. Can you imagine what it would be like is if the Christian church took that spirit out into the world? In a polarized, I hate everyone, no one agrees with my politics, I think you're a demon if you believe, believe something on the other side of the aisle, that I don't agree with your view, you don't agree with my view, so I'm gonna be mean and I never wanna talk to you again. What if Christians entered into that world and said, hold up, you know we don't agree. As a matter of fact, man, that's crazy. But we're in it together. I'm not going anywhere. That's what family does, we disagree. We sort it out. But my love will not let me bail. Man, how cool is that? There's a security in that. There's a safety in that, that every time you fight, they're not gonna walk away from you. I think that for any healthy family, we need that, amen? And that's why Paul says, guys, that's what we commit to. 
or family. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? If you need prayer, this prayer team is here. They're a part of your family to minister to you. And once again, you come up if you need some help. But I'm just going to close us with a blessing. Just pray over you, and we'll get out of here, all right? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for being so patient with us, so gracious with us. Lord, we feel so filled up by you that we can actually be gracious and patient with the people around us. I just pray, Lord, that you would kind of get us excited about you and have us begin to share with the open doors and Holy Spirit, show us where you're moving and we can go join that and and lean into that kind of power and that kind of fire. And and God, I just pray that, that maybe the encouragement that comes in our spirit gives us an impetus to be able to make someone else's day today. That God, that it's not about us. It's about loving on everybody else. God, you've given us more than we need. You've been abundantly kind to us. Lord, whether it's our resources, whether it's our time, whether it's our attention, whether or not it's our prayers, God, you've given us an abundance and we just wanna love on other people. So God, would you just show us what doors you've opened and we'll walk right through. To the glory of your name and in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.